All right, Song of Solomon, chapter seven. Let me remind you where you are in, in the book. We, um, I handed out at the very beginning the chiastic structure of the book, which means that the book was driving up towards the um, moment of the consummation of marriage, which is in chapter four, verse 16, to chapter five and verse one. My aim through this um, series has been to identify for you the affections that relate to marriage and the affections that relate to a biblical view of sexuality. And I hope that last evening at least helped from a content standpoint for you to understand the framework. So in that chiastic structure, it comes to the consummation of the marriage and then it moves backwards. And what many believe we have in, in chapters uh, really six, seven, and eight, um, after some kind of appears conflict that happened in verse five where they, they feel separated or something of that sort. In, in six, seven, and eight, we, we see um, marriage that is now longer than just the honeymoon phase. And so what I wanna talk about in this session today is how do you maintain passion for marriage over the long haul? Like what, is that, what does that look like and, and how do you um, continue to pursue one another? Uh, Matt Chandler, who wrote a book called The Mingling of Souls, great book if you want to um, take a step in uh, that direction. It's a recent one. He says this, intimacy is hard for broken people. We need Jesus. We need his help. But when you've gotten closer and closer to the incredible reality that God chose you, forgave you, and approved of you despite your sin, all because of Jesus Christ, that grace is satisfying and empowering, and it can be carried over into your marriage. It can be carried over into the way that you respond to your spouse, confident and free because of Christ's work in your life. It can be carried over in the way you forgive your spouse's sins and overlook his or her imperfections as a way of sharing what God has given you. In the same way, sex can be about the gospel if we're mindful enough to make it so. If Jesus wanted the broken version of you, can you find the strength to want your broken spouse? In Christ, it's possible, it just has to be worked for, it just has to be fought for. And so what I wanna do is try and make the case this morning of how to fight for your marriage over the long haul by means of the gospel. So let me give you a number of um, principles. One, two, three, let me count them, I didn't write them down, four, Five, six. Six principles. Number one is this. Fight for your marriage by fanning the flame of affection. I want you to think of your marriage like the, the coals of a, a fire. One of my favorite things to do is to have a fire on a back porch. We go camping. Like, if we can't have a fire, I don't want to go to that campground. In fact, I was thinking of this, last, this next summer of taking my sons on a, on a hiking expedition. I had dreams of going to Isle Royal and um, Lake Superior, um, dreams of uh, uh, backpacking someplace else. And then I found out you can't have any outside fires on Isle Royal. And I was like, eh, not going there. Um, it, it, that's essential for me for the camping experience. Like I love the smell of a fire in the winter. I love the smell of fire in the summer. I just love that environment. Give me a Bible a campfire and a cup of coffee, and that's like the new heaven and the new earth for me right there. So, so when we get to new heaven and the new earth, just look for the smoke, come find me, I'm sitting by the fire, that's where I'm gonna be, all right? We'll have a great time, and I get to poke it. That's my rule, okay? 
But one of the things you do when the fire begins to die down is you, you, you fan it, you, you, you blow on it to add oxygen to it. So think of your, your, your marriage. It may have been just flaming hot at one point, and there's always seasons, and things get you know, wonderfully intense. And then there's just this beautiful sort of ember stage where it's, it's a good fire. It's just not blazing hot. You can't roast marshmallows over it, but you can just sit there listening to the crackling sounds of a slow-burning fire. And the idea is just over time to fan the flames of your affections. So let's see what he does. Remember previously, when, when she came in the bridal procession, he praised her from head to toe. He began with her eyes, right, and, and sort of made it all the way down, and then their marriage was consummated. Now what we see in chapter 7, he's still praising her, but this time he's praising her from the bottom up, from her feet up. And some people think that the reason that, that the writer of Song of Solomon does this is to invert like the attractiveness that he's not just captured by her eyes and her neck and by her breasts first, but instead he's captivated by her feet and he starts with like, like one of the most unnoticeable um, areas of a, of a woman's body. And he starts there, and he makes his way up. So he's assessing her, looking at her, and praising her beauty. And um, it says, verse 1, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. So he starts with her feet. He's going to praise her. He then says, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Then he says, your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Now, it's pretty rare to hear someone praise a navel, but he does so here. And part of the, the, the point is this, is he's going to begin describing intimate parts of her body that, frankly, he is the only one that's going to see. And so part of the beauty that you're going to see in this text is not just a sexual erotic love, but instead a, 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 a private love, a love that husband and wife simply share together. He describes her, her belly as a heap of wheat encircled with lilies, perhaps somehow connecting to the color of her skin. Verse 3, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Ribbon. Here it is, your nose is like a tower of Lebanon which looks towards Damascus. Now I gotta say something about this because like, I mean, the navel was one thing but a nose like a tower, that, like, what in the world is going on here? Essentially what's happening is he is... Um, identifying the beauty of what she is like. And the Tower of Lebanon was something connected to majesty. It's sort of like um, seeing mountains in the distance. If you've ever driven out west, and then you suddenly see the Rocky Mountains, and you see them like a long ways off. And, and just to, to be blunt, they're, they're, they're sticking out from the landscape. And so her nose, which sticks out, right, is, is majestic in the sense that her her nose is, to him, something that communicates beauty. Think of it also, not maybe like a mountain, but think of it like a downtown skyscraper where you, you see the, the city skyscape. For example, uh, downtown Indianapolis, the, the Chase Tower, right? You think of that Chase Tower and how it just stands out and it's prominent. Let me ask you, what's the building just north of the Chase Tower? 
You don't know, you don't even know what, like you don't know. And the reason you don't know is because it's not prominent, right? And essentially what he's saying is like, you're so lovely, you stand out among all other people. You are a beautiful, elegant, majestic woman to me. Your nose is like, a, like, a, like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. So he even praises her from the sole of her feet to the top of her head. Verse 16, and, 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 or six, six rather, I want you to notice that he's, the, the idea is that he's continually praising her. He wasn't just praising her, don't miss this, he wasn't just praising her in the ramp up to their wedding and the ramp up to the consummation of their wedding. He wasn't just romancing her in order so they could consummate their marriage. Now he's romancing her and praising her even after the consummation of the marriage because the romance and the praising wasn't specifically designed to just simply get to the consummation of the marriage. It's meant to fan the flames of affection and affirmation. He then says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. This is a summary statement of how, of how beautiful she is. And then we have one of these other passages here that sort of make us clear our throat again. I'm, I'm going to read it. It's, it's just, it doesn't need a whole lot of comment, and you'll be thankful that I don't make a lot of comment. This is another one of those passages my wife asked me, are you really going to, like, what are you going to, and I was going to read it, and look, you can just, it's there, you're adults, so it says, your stature is like a palm tree. So he compares her, like, isn't it great when you fly into a warm place? Some of you have lived in Florida, and you don't take palm, you take, maybe take palm trees for granted. I don't take palm trees for granted. When I arrive at a warm place and I see a palm tree, I'm like, yes, like, I'm in a place that's not Indiana. I mean, that's what I think about. And so he says, your stature, notice, is not like a pine tree, right? Your stature is not like an oak tree. Your, your stature is like a palm tree because it's just an elegant beauty of something that's blowing in the wind. It's, and then he says, your breasts are like its clusters. And then he just jumps on it and he says, I say, I'll climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruits. So you can see what's going on there. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the very best wine. And then verse 10 or then she says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over his lips and teeth. And then she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. That's a very important line. So he's, he's praised her, he's affirming her. And the thing that I just want for you to, to know and to keep in mind when you leave here today is that this marriage retreat was a great idea for you to come together. And I hope that you agree with that. I hope you feel like, man, that was a, that was a good investment of our weekend. And I just want to encourage you to keep figuring out ways to fan the flame of affection. Um, if you've not been the kind of person that's been affirming either your husband's desirability or your wife's attractiveness, uh, it matters this weekend that maybe that light bulb came on, but it really matters two and a half weeks from now. And some of you who know one another well might want to just check in with each other a week or two from now or a month and just say, hey, how's that, a, how's that um, affirming thing going in your uh, marriage relationship? Let me just encourage you to affirm a couple things. First, keep affirming one another's attractiveness. Keep praising one another. Realize that there's something beautiful even as you age with aging bodies. You're not always going to be 25. 
Kids are going to come, age is going to come, metabolisms are going to slow down, it's life, and yet you still can be beautiful to one another. It also means that um, as a part of, of, of that, to affirm one another also means to take care of yourself. I don't mean that you have to be the size that you were back in high school or back when you got married, but it means that there's an intentionality of, look, I'm going to work to keep myself attractive. I'm going to work to praise you. I'm going to work to make myself beautiful. I'm going to work to make myself attractive. I'm not going to let it control me. I'm not going to let it be my God, but this is important to me, not just for me. This is important also for both of us. So, so affirm attractiveness. Secondly, Fan the flames of true beauty. We don't have time to dial into 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 6, but it talks about what's truly beautiful and what's truly lovely, that even beyond the aging process, there's a beauty that comes from the heart. And I hope that because of the conversations you've had this weekend, that there's a, a new level of attractiveness to your spouse, not just because of their, their, their physical shape or because they've been able to spend time together, but because you've been able to hear their heart at a, at a new level. And, and in hearing that heart, there's, there's a new level of love for that person. Like you married your best friend. You married somebody who you really, truly love and respect. And you may be here, and one of the questions that, that, that came up was, what do I do if I don't like the person I'm married to? What do I do if I'm struggling? And, and here's what my advice to you would be. Number one, you've got to lay that before the feet of Jesus. You've got to ask him to give you love that you don't have. And you have to put to death this idea that love is first and foremost a feeling. Love is a feeling, but it begins with a choice. Um, God chose to love you, and you've got to choose to love your spouse it also means you've got to accentuate the positive aspects of your spouse. Some of you may need to take a sheet of paper. You may need to write down all the things that you love about your spouse. And there's probably more than what you realize. And even if there's three, when you feel like there should be 30, at least there's three. And you start thanking God that you've got three things in your spouse that you love. And don't you dare go to the other side and list 150 things that you don't like. You've got to take those 150 things and say, I've got to trust Jesus to take care of my spouse because he's the one that can truly change them, and I've got to figure out how to be able to love my wife or love my husband just the way they are. And what you're going to find is that as you begin acting in love, your love and affection begins to grow. When I've got a couple who says that we don't even like each other, what I begin doing is giving them specific assignments to do things that are loving to each other, and it's amazing as they begin to act on those things, uh, that reality by faith, that the feelings begin to come back. And so sometimes we have this idea that, that feelings need to be there before we can act. And I would tell you that right thinking followed by right actions leads to right feelings. So if you know you're supposed to love your spouse, then do that. Then act in a way that demonstrates that love and those feelings, they, they will come. They may not come all at once, but they can come as you respond in a way that honors the Lord. Next, affirm and fan into flame the things that bring each other joy. As you get older, figure out what is it that in this season of life is really needed. And whether you're newly married, whether you're newly married without kids, whether you're newly married and you really want kids, but the Lord hasn't blessed you yet with children, um, whether it's you, you got young children at home or you got school age kids or high school or college or now you're dealing with grandchildren, like you got to talk through every phase of life and, and do regular resets probably about every three to four years. Like, like how, how are we doing in terms of the things that we're doing together? Study one another through the seasons of life. 
find ways that you bring one another joy and happiness. There ought to be things, if I asked you, like, what do you love to do with your spouse? That there's two or three things right away that this is what we love to do. Like, we do, it doesn't have to be, you know, like hang gliding, like, oh, great for you. So, I mean, it can be something that's just, like, we like to go out to coffee together and just sit around and talk. Or uh, for my wife and I, we, we love to go, Eagle Creek is like our, our happy place, and, like, we just love to go on a three-mile run together and then walk and pray in the woods. Like, that's, that's awesome for us. So figure out what it is that you can do together um, as, um, as a couple. And then finally, just... Fan into flame the specialness of your relationship. Um, we haven't touched on this a lot, but listen, modesty is important. And I don't want to get in a soapbox on this, but modesty is important because there's parts of your wife's body, man, that nobody else should see, and you shouldn't want them to see it. You should be like, that's mine, and no one else gets to look at that. No one else gets to look at that shape and that curve. No one else gets to look at that location of her body. Like, that belongs... You don't, don't treat your wife like she's some trophy that you can pry to her around, like, check out what I got. You check out what you got, but you do that in the privacy of your own room. And so, there are, so preserve the specialness of your relationship. Uh, men, there should be parts of your heart that you don't let anybody else into but your wife. Um, parts that you reserve, especially, um, absolutely no other women. Um, you need to, to preserve, your wife needs to know there are things about your soul, men, that nobody else has access to except your wife. Now, I was thinking about this. It was a, a really odd and yet really special thing. I don't know if I've ever talked about this, so this is a little sacred ground for me. Um, when our daughter, Sylvia, died, um, like that grief was, was really hard and really painful, and yet I remember laying in bed, holding my wife and telling her, like nobody in the world understands what's going on except you and there was there was a, a level of intimacy and emotional closeness in that moment because we were grieving and feeling things at a depth of a level that we had never felt before and nobody could possibly understand what that was like and I didn't expect them to and frankly I didn't want them to and I don't know if the Lord's brought difficult or hard circumstances into your life or your marriage, but there are emotional things that are so hard, and yet you get to walk through those things together, and rather than thinking of those things as a threat to your marriage, which they could be, embrace them and say, somehow we get to walk through this pain um, together. And to be able to realize that there are, are parts of your relationship that you have together that are so special and so unique that it's reserved only for the two of you. So fan the flames. I am my beloved and his desire is for me. Number two, keep getting away. If you think this weekend was helpful, my question is, why not do it again? Dummy, right? So like, it's not rocket science. If you were like, hey, this is awesome, then I'd say, great. So when are you going to do it again? Like, how are you, and, and don't tell me, um, we don't have enough money to get away. Well, fine, then you better not be spending money on something else, like some piece of technology, like I really need this, okay, but do you need time to be able to spend with your spouse? And, and where does that getting away, you can even do something that doesn't even cost a lot of money, you can find ways to um, be able to uh, make time for one another. So look what happens in verse 11. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. She's inviting him to get away together. Let us go out early to the vineyards. And then here's, um, 
This is clearly, this, there's, you've seen this before regarding the nut orchard in a previous chapter, but here let's go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. She is not asking him to come to the botanical gardens. Right? <laughs> there's, more, there's more here than just, let's see if the flowers are blooming. That's much more than that, and it's pretty clear. And you're like, no, it doesn't mean that. Well, look at the next line. There I will give you my love. Okay, now do you believe me? All right, so then verse 13, the mandrakes, which was kind of an aphrodisiac, will give forth fragrance, and beside our door all, are all choice fruits. By the way, a question came up, um, and one of the things, how do you initiate um, sex in the context of marriage? And for some of you, you might be like, what in the world, why are you asking that question? For some couples, it's a really awkward moment, like, like I want to be intimate, but like, how do I say that? And some guys feel really insecure asking um, for sex. They think that their wives should just know when they want to be able to be intimate. And what's, what's interesting is you th- see things like the mandrakes, which are like an aphrodisiac will give fragrance. And so my suggestion, if that's an issue for you, would be one, to talk about it before you go home. Like, what can I do so that would be appropriate? And some folks have like a symbolic candle that gets set out. I'm not joking. I got a friend. He was like, yeah, we have this candle. We put out the candle, and when the candle comes out, my wife knows, like, hey, hey, hey. And so you see that, or, or maybe there's particular cues that you have as a husband or wife, or maybe you just need to be able to be honest with one another. Just ask, hey, are, are you wanting to be intimate tonight? And just ask, instead of like that weird dynamic of, what are you thinking? And you're like doing sign language, you know, and like, you know, so, because that can really lead to a lot of um, confusion on the part of a, of a wife feeling like, I don't know what he is wanting, and, and also a sense of, um, of um, just hurt when those things aren't understood. Um, so you got to figure out what's your, your way to communicate, hey, um, would love to be intimate with you, and, and what's an appropriate way, or if that's just like, what, then just then find some mandrakes if you want. So, okay, so new, and then, and then says this, beside our door are all choice fruits, new as well as old. Wait, before I get there. Um, clear reference here to, to, to marital and sexual love. And let me just tell you that one of the best things you can do for your marriage is to make time for family vacations. So when, when we plan our annual year, I start with our family vacations, and then I build nearly everything in my life, including speaking schedules, things like this, around those family vacations, around weekend getaways with my wife. When we were in our former church, we were young, early married, had very little money. We, um, there was this um, old Holiday Inn in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Any, anyone been to Benton Harbor? Yeah, it's, it's not the, the most stellar place to go on vacation, and this old Holiday Inn was not a five-star. It, it, it didn't have probably any stars. Um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty, pretty run down, but the fact of the matter is it was $35 a night. It had this beautiful, uh, excuse me, they had this pool that used to be beautiful, had a hot tub, and we would take our kids, and they thought it was a palace, and we would just, we would, and so we, people would say, where are you going? We're going to go for a weekend getaway. Where are you going? Benton Harbor. People are like, whoa, 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 excuse, excuse me, where are you going? And, and they'd say, well, we're going to, to, to Benton Harbor. And we'd find this old hotel, and we just loved being able to get away. It was our little escape place that, um, that we went to. And then about five years later, we um, uh, went back to uh, Mackinac Island, a place that we'd gone to for years um, growing up, and we took our first sort of... Um, 
of weekend um, getaway together. And I don't know what happened between year zero and year five, but we didn't do any of those sorts of things like getting away together. And I remember traveling on the ferry, going over to Mackinac Island, the wind blowing in our hair, my wife sitting next to me, and we're heading over to a bed and breakfast on the island. And I thought, why am I not doing this every year? Like, this is incredibly wonderful. And we had an amazing time together. And we came back off the island. And I was just like, we, like, we have to do this on a, on a regular basis. And so let me just encourage you that if this has been helpful to you, you need to figure out a way um, to be able to do it. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, top shelf. One of our most meaningful planning times when we went away together, we went to Kokomo, Indiana. Now, I don't have anything against Kokomo. You may be that have come from there, and God bless Kokomo. It's a great little place that now has a nice bypass around it. Um, so, you know, about time. 14 stoplights, really? You know, so anyways, but that's a sidebar. Um, so, but my parents, when they lived up in Michigan, met us in Peru, Indiana. They took the kids for a weekend, and then we stayed in Kokomo, because they didn't want to travel all the way back or anywhere else, and we... Um, stayed at a, um, a Marriott courtyard, and we had a wonderful time, went to some not-so-great restaurant in Kokomo, but we, at that point in time, laid out a plan of what the next five years were going to look like in terms of, of family vacations and things of that sort, and figured out there's this little window where all of our kids are still at home, when the twins are driving, this would be the time for us to take an out west trip, and I still have the little scratch pad from the Marriott um, a courtyard hotel where I laid out all their ages and said, here's our two-year window. If we're going to do it, we got to do it in this window. And that became the drivers for some amazing family times. But without Kokomo, without that weekend, that would have never, ever happened. Some of you have friends and you need to develop a pack. Like, hey, we'll take your kids for this weekend if you take ours for the next and develop this plan. And in that case, you don't even need a, a hotel or a fancy place. Just clear your house, lock the door, draw the shades, and ain't nobody home except you, right? So you can even have have that kind of time, but the point is to be able to find ways to be able to get away. Now, he says this, um, the mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, notice this, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. So, Tommy Nelson, in his book called The Book of Romance, what Solomon says about love, sex, and intimacy, says this, this is, a, this is focusing on, I've got old stuff, and i got new stuff. He says this, a number of years ago, my wife Teresa and I went on a Caribbean cruise. Our luggage seemed to be misplaced at the outset of the voyage, and we faced the hard, cold fact that we might be several days on the ship with the only clothes we had on our backs. I tried to comfort Teresa by saying, look, I got enough money with me. We can buy the things we need once we stop at the first island. But she could not be consoled. Finally, in tears, she said, but I had a special red nightgown just for tonight. Tommy writes, I went straight to the captain of the ship and said, you find my luggage and find it now. <laughs> I was not about to be denied the red nightgown that my wife had nor her in it. She had something new for me and I was ready to receive it. Parenthetically, by the way, they did find our luggage and I sang a new song. <laughs> He writes, wife, never lose sight of the fact that you can still be even more creative in your lovemaking. Hus your husband will delight in the fantasies you create and the innovations you bring. Lay up some new treasures for your husband to enjoy. Now, that doesn't go just for wives, it also goes for husbands. Find new and creative ways. Don't take her to the same restaurant. Um, it, you say, hey, we're going to go out on a date tonight. Make, 
dress it up a bit. Do something wonderful. Take a carriage ride downtown. Do, do, do something unusual. Do something sporadic. Come home with flowers that she didn't expect. Why did you bring me flowers? Oh, I just saw these at the, at the store and just thought of you. Find new ways to make sure that your relationship is not simply static. We found in our lives at least that we need about one weekend, at least one weekend a year, and preferably uh, a weekend that's longer than just an overnight. About three or four days is really helpful to be able to talk about the future, enjoy one another's company. You figure that out, whatever you need or what works for you in your rhythm of life. Chapter 8, the next point is this, just keep fanning the flames, keep getting away, number Three is keep celebrating your spouse. She says this, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. And it's kind of weird that she's saying this. What, what, what she means is that, that she wished that, she, that he was, um, that she was able to openly display her affections for him because in that ancient Near East culture, like you only publicly showed your affections for family members. She says, if I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. So the idea is, she's like, I want the whole world to know how wonderful you are. So when, when your wife isn't around, men, do you affirm her to other people? When, um, when, when your husband is around, women, do you affirm him? Verse 2, she says, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink and the juice of my pomegranate. Again, it's a, a, a sexual reference. His, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. So there's an idea of intimacy and an idea of closeness. And, um, and then she says, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases so keep celebrating your, your spouse. Do you, do you hold her hand in public? Do you let people know that, that you uh, value her? Do, do, are you, do you affirm him to other people, wives, when, um, when other people are around? Do you celebrate his accomplishments to others? Can you uh, guys give a, a, a foot rub to your wife, a back rub to her, rubbing her hair without some expectation this is going to lead to something else? Find creative ways to keep celebrating the beauty of what your marriage is. Again, Tommy Nelson, regarding the simple things in life, he says this, A man or a woman will quickly realize in marriage that much of every day is devoted to chores. There's not much romance associated with the work of taking care of home, children, cars, and yards, unless, that is, you choose to add an unexpected element to a specific chore. For example, a man once said to me, one of the most romantic things I ever did for my wife was to clean up the dishes after a dinner party while she went to take a hot soaking bath. Doing the unexpected chore as a help to a weary and overstressed spouse can be a ro very romantic act. What's going to come next is really significant and snappy. Get your pen ready because you're going to want to write this down. A noted female columnist said that to her, you ready? The sound of a vacuum cleaner is foreplay. All right, there you go. Just, just saying, okay? So there you go. Going to have a lot of vacuum cleaning coming on in the next few days, all right? So, verse 4, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up love or awaken it until it pleases. Again, 
this, this statement, interestingly enough, shows up here that she's enamored with the beauty of the love of marriage, enamored with the beauty of the sexuality of her marriage, and yet she then refers back to not stirring up love until it awake, until it's time. And um, one author says this, at the end of it all, she looked back on her journey and said, we did it the right way. She had a sense of satisfaction, a depth, a gratitude that culminated in this joyous proclamation. We didn't arouse love until it was time, and the result was a love that was incomparable, a love unquenchable. All the hard work, all the conflict, all the romance, all the wrinkles, all the extra weight, they're all worth it. That's what she's, in effect, saying. So, I think this is fourth. Stay committed. Keep celebrating your spouse. Next day, committed. Who is that that's coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree, I awakened you, and there your mother was in la- there. Your mother was in labor with you. There, she who bore you was in labor. And then, verse six. Notice this. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Like she wants him. Like tattoo your name, my name, on your arm. She's equating here the power of love. Notice, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Notice the power that, that she's talking about love here. It flashes, it's, its flashes are the flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So she's pulling metaphors here about the, the beauty of what love is and the significance of it. And then says, verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So love has an overwhelming power to it. It's the kind of love that says, I'm going to walk with you through this. It's the kind of love that says, I love you just the way you are. It's the kind of love that says, even when you're sinful, I'm still going to love you. I remember a number of years ago, um, my wife and I were having a conversation. It was one of those rare moments when I was not being godly in our talk. And um, that's happened, I think, three times, honey, in our relationship. So yeah, actually, she thinks there's four, but it's only three. So uh, anyways, um, so we're having this conversation and um, uh, and I'm just, I'm just being a straight-out jerk. There's just no way around it. And I remember my wife looking at me and saying, Honey, I love you, and when you're ready to talk about this in a godly way, we can go ahead and have a conversation about it, but I'm not going to talk with you when you're acting like this. Now, <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you say to that? That's like the nuclear option, right? You say, like, nuh-uh. You know, I mean, what do you... And in and, and this moment, it's she's wanting to help me to be a godly husband and a godly man, and I just, I don't want to be that. And yet to say, look, I love you, but I'm not going to fight with you on this. Like, you're not, you're not responding in a, in, a, in a godly way is a way of helping one another. You've got to say it with the right tone, et cetera, et cetera, but it's to be able to help one another to realize that, look, like this love that we have is extremely powerful and waters can quench it. And I love you enough to say, I'm not, I'm not quenching our love. I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna go down this path. I'm not gonna escalate this argument. I'm gonna find a way to honor the Lord. So some of you have what I would call scripts in your marriage and you need to apply this text to those scripts. You have particular subjects that it's almost like a, um, a, 
a really bad sitcom, you could pull out the script and it goes like this. Okay, I'm gonna say this, and then you're gonna say this, and then I'm gonna say that, and you're gonna say that, then I'm gonna get mad, I'm gonna say this, and then you're gonna do this. And you've replayed that script a hundred times over particular subjects. And I just wanna encourage you to figure out how do you change that script and realize that waters cannot quench that love and put that script away and figure out when this comes up again, I am not gonna go there. I am going to find a way, God helping me, to develop a new script in my life. All right, verse 8. Here's the, um, the next one, and that is keep leveraging your marriage. So stay committed, committed to one another. Keep leveraging your marriage. We have a little sister. She has no breasts. But what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So now... It's interesting, they're, they're, they're talking not just about their own marriage, but they're, they're looking back towards a younger girl who's getting ready for marriage, and I just want to encourage you that part of having a good marriage is looking around you and trying helping other marriages to be good. So they're looking at this little girl, and they, they want her to have what they have, and so that's why it says, what will we do for our sister? So if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. In other words, if she's a wall, we're going to build protections around her, and then If she's a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. We're going to lock her in, the idea. And so it it sort of means no no matter what she is, we're going to find ways to um, protect her. And so I just want to encourage you to be sure that the people who are around you who are dating or those who are pursuing uh, marriage, that you help those folks understand the beauty of what marriage is, but you also help them understand the boundaries of marriage and that you encourage them and say, look, it may be hard for you not to be um, impure with one another, but it's worth it. It really is. And, and to keep leaning in and to help them understand both not only the no, but also the beauty of yes. It means you need to help your children understand the fences and boundaries when it comes to relationships in the ramp up to marriage. If you, like us, are in the season when you have to navigate through the whole dating scene, you're going to have to figure out, like, how are you going to handle that? And what are you going to do? And what are you going to do to not, like, way overreact because of your mistakes? And, and, or not just simply open the floodgates and say, like, whatever, it worked out for us. You, you need to understand and be intentional about conversations, about sexuality. Um, one of the most important things that I wanted to be as a dad was the first guy in the door on that conversation with my sons. So I wanted to have that conversation before somebody else had it. I wanted my sons to go, what are you talking about? Like, that's what I want. And so we walked our boys through um, the Passport to Purity uh, sort of program and took them away with a weekend. And it was a, a fabulous experience. But that needs to not be the only conversation. Like, it's not like one and done. Like, who checked the box? Now I'm done. Tapping out. That needs to be a regular conversation. Some of you never had a dad who spoke into your area of uh, sexual temptation or uh, struggles, and that, that conversation needs to be on the table. Uh, one of our elders, who's the head in his um, parenting of, of sons, made a statement to me five years ago that I have lived by, which is this. He said, Mark, be afraid not of the things that are on the table. Be afraid of the things that aren't on the table. That was like, oh, man, is that in Proverbs somewhere? You know what I mean? That was like, that was so helpful. And so I've just, we've just tried to put things on the table. My wife does an amazing job of asking even 
our boys appropriate questions about relationships, about people, about what they're thinking about, things of that sort. And we kind of have a division of labor in this category, but she'll ask them questions and she just gets them used to being, to talking about particular things, about, you know, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? And are you interested in them? And da-da-da-da-da. And she's just probing continually so that that's a part of the regular conversation of life as opposed to a kid hearing a question and they're like... <gasps> Right? We want them to be familiar with mom and dad speaking into these categories of life. Here's just another little sidebar thing. I am amazed and shocked how many parents have no clue regarding the scope of the technology that their children have at their disposal. It just, I cannot believe it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you need to be on this. Now, technology um, supervision is not the end-all, be-all. The conversation is probably more important, but I cannot believe the number of scenarios that I've heard of or run into where a, a, a 13 to 17-year-old boy or girl just has wide open access to the biggest sewer of life. And I just, I don't understand why parents aren't thinking about this and realizing that that app probably has a back door that your son or daughter can access, a browser, where they're just going to be off running. And you need to be, you need to know, um, you need to try and be ahead further along than where you are, or even probably even today in regards to technology and things of that sort. For the sake of your children and for the sake of their own protection, you can't overly you can't overtly protect them, but I just find lots of parents who've just kind of thrown up their hands and be like, ah, you know, nothing we can really do. And I just say, please, you got, you, you got to try. Because it says, if she's like a door, we're going to enclose her with boards of cedar. It's okay to be the parent that your kids look at and they're like, so you know no one else believes this, right? Like, no one else does this. You know you're like technologically Amish, right? I mean, you know that. And look, you can go too far with that, but at the same time, we live in a really dangerous world, and um, I just want to encourage you to realize the importance of, of all of this. And then verses 10 to 12, she describes her experience. I was a wall, my breasts were, uh, and my breasts were like towers. I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman, and he let out his vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring its fruit for a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. O you who dwell in the gardens with companion, li, companions, this is now the, the man, maybe Solomon speaking, listening for your voice, let me hear it. The idea is he kind of raises his voice to hear what the woman is saying. Um, can I just encourage you to use your marriage as a platform to speak into the marriages of other people? Um, if you've been married for a while, help others to experience the joy of marriage. Help um, other marriages to, um, to flourish. Um, pastorally, as a church, we, we need more disciplers of couples. We, we need people who could catch the vision of discipleship in, your, in the bags that you got this weekend. There's a, like a discipleship track that you could take that you could know how to handle the word in people's lives and I'm just I'm asking you for the sake of the spiritual development of our entire church please consider getting on a pathway to be a really good discipler of other people you don't have to be perfect you just got to be ahead a little bit and walk alongside with somebody and figure out how do I use the word to disciple someone and I'm just I'm asking you our church is too large the needs are too great the discipleship need is too significant we can't pastorally we can't hire enough staff to be able to do this I need you even in your not perfect marriage to help pour into other marriages so 
Could you begin praying and thinking, is there somebody near me who we could just come alongside and say, hey, let's meet for coffee and just talk about life and marriage and just see where, where, where that develops. Again, you're here for a reason, and it may be that God wants to instill in you a passion to help other people follow after Jesus. You may even want to become maybe one of our lay counselors and really know what it means to apply the word in a particular depth or be a small group leader in a new way that you're really leaning into these things. It's one thing for me to say it, but if you come alongside as someone who's like, yeah, that's true, let me show you how that's worked in my life, it's exponentially powerful. In that respect, you participate in the beautiful ministry of the word. So I need your help in making marriage strong at our church. And then finally, Verse 14, we come to the end. Make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. The idea is keep jumping over the mountains, keep lively. The final point is this, keep pursuing. She calls him a gazelle and encourages him to come to her love. So in closing, let me just give you a couple suggestions. Number one, I hope that this retreat has convinced you that your marriage is really important. I mean, I knew you knew that intellectually, but I hope that like in your soul, like you feel it at a new level. Like, I love marriage. And I hope in the context of that, you also love Jesus because of the gift that he's given to you in marriage. Secondly, I want you to think about ways that you can practically take next steps in making marriage a priority in your relationship. Whether it's a weekly priority, a monthly priority, I want you to be thinking right now about what next thing you're going to do. What's your next getaway plan that you're going to be a part of? Do you need to maybe take some time to read a book together and then, and then spend some time just talking about it? If you started the rallying cry, don't be one of those couples that just starts it and then it never goes anywhere. Like complete that thing, post it somewhere that you can see and ask the Lord to help you. Third, it may be that one of the steps you need to take is to, to just spend some time praying together more regularly. It could be as simple as just praying before you go to bed at night, praying over one another. Um, Sarah and I don't pray every single night together. We don't. I, I don't think that's the, the basic standard for true marriage and what it needs to be. We, we pray together regularly when there's needs, and we pray together, we have a mindfulness of prayer but you may need to pray together every day, or you just may need to pray more regularly. Like, figure it out what, what, works, what works for you. And then finally, some of you need to invite the help of someone else into your life. Like, the thing that you're dealing with is, is significant and important, and it'd be really helpful if somebody else could, could talk with you about it and you with them and help them understand um, what it is that you're wrestling with and how that you could be able to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. Help others to speak into your life. Let me close with this. Matt Chandler says this at the end of his book on the mingling of souls. One day our marriage will give way either by death or by the Lord's return. In any event, our marriage was not built for eternity. Let me pause. It's really hard for me to believe that for as much as I love Sarah, like the new heaven and the new earth is gonna be so much better that I'll be okay with like not being married to her. Like that's just, like I don't like that. So that must mean that it's sort of like when I tell my kids about something that they can't even imagine that's so wonderful. Like they don't even have a category for it. And I just tell them, no, 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 you, like your minds are too small for how big this is. So it, must be, it must be something like that. When I was in grade school and high school, I had no idea marriage would be this wonderful. No idea, I had no category for it. And now that I'm here, New heaven and new earth must, 
be so unbelievably glorious that even the most special of all relationships is not the central reality there. Chandler writes, but sanctification, but the sanctification rather of our marriage will bring into our souls, no, I didn't read that right. In any event, in any event, our marriage was not built for eternity, but the sanctification of marriage will bring our souls. I must have messed that quote. I don't even know what he's saying there. It's a really good quote. I just didn't copy it right. Let me read this final two sentences. One day we will be presented to our Redeemer like a bride adorned for her husband. Then when we see face to face, we will understand what marriage was truly about. Until then, we enjoy the mystery. It's an amazing gift of profound grace. Yes, we enjoy the mystery of marriage and give all the glory to its beautiful author. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, would you make um, our hearts um, full of the beauty of what marriage is and now as we respond to you and to one another, would you let your um, word just flow deep into our hearts as we um, reflect on the beauty of what you have done, would you make your grace just overflow to us now? Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.